Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I'm John Negroni from the Internet, California, and from the Internet, Pennsylvania, getting his mariachi band back together for one last gig before Christmas. It's Will Ashton. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no response to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, we have a special guest from the Internet, NYC. He's riding an Adabrihe shaped like a donkey, but as fierce as a dragon, and his knuckles are dragging across the floor. It's Matt Donato. That was way too much detail, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Matt Donato, welcome back to Cinema Hawks. It's been a while since our, our last call with you. Yes, thank you for having me back. Always pleasure to come on and represent. We got this covered. Yeah, please yeah. remind people who you are because there's like there's got to be at least two people who don't know. Yeah, if you read any of the reviews on We Got This Covered, that is going to be me as well as any other features on Slash Film, Dread Central, and other various internet locations. Yeah, and I think the last time we reviewed a movie with you was uh i want to say logan right oh yeah that was a while back because last Lake time Club. we did the whole uh, uh cinema universe thing yeah yeah that was a good episode uh go back into our archives we had a great uh we had a, a whole discussion about cinematic universes with uh matt and alicia grasso but this week we're talking about pixar's latest film and their first original fir- film in two years coco uh directed by leo Unkrich. uh before we get to that guys I, and you know i I feel really bad that we have to talk about this, but this story kind of really hit its steam just today when we're recording this. We're recording this ahead of Thanksgiving. Uh, some big news has come out about John Lasseter. Uh, so he's the creative or the chief creative officer of Pixar, Disney Tune, and Walt Disney Animation Studios. And uh, he is the latest in the line of people coming out. Uh, or facing consequences for sexual harassment allegations. You know, this really got in a way, kickstarted uh, by Harvey Weinstein, and it has now reached John Lasseter at Pixar and Disney. Uh, you may remember John Lasseter, he also co-founded Pixar, and uh, he was he's directed, uh, he directed, I think he co-directed Toy Story, and he directed Cars. So this is a huge, huge hit uh, for, uh, you know, a, a, an animation studio that I, I personally, you know, have a huge investment in. And uh, so the Hollywood Reporter, I think, was the first to break this. Uh, they they broke the story of a, there was a big incident between a writer and actress Rashida Jones and uh, Will McCormick uh, because of John Lasseter. So they were working on Toy Story 4, which uh, I believe also that Lasseter is co-directing that one. And uh, it it turns out that he sexually harassed Rashida Jones, and then that was what got them off of the project, and they said it was over creative differences. Uh, they're still credited as writers on the, the film Toy Story 4, and at this point, Lasseter is taking a six-month leave of absence. This is this is pretty big, you know. It's 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 very upsetting, you know, especially as the new movie Coco is coming out, and also this affected a lot of employees at Pixar who had to endure uh, this this environment where this was uh, allegedly happening um, for years. Uh, we're hearing reports that uh, 
you know, he, he had, a, there was a lot of inappropriate behavior, uh, really weird, uh, long hugs, I think, as they were described, a lot of grabbing, kissing, well, the, making weird the, comments. Uh, fe- the females had a position they called the lassiter so that yeah. they could protect themselves in meetings and stuff because he would always put yeah. his hand like on their leg and stuff like that. So, I mean, it just kind of shows to how people had kind of not normalized it, but, you know, well, they didn't know what to do in that situation. And that's how bad it got. They would turn they also, away, apparently, when they would see him coming yeah. in the hall, yeah. Also, is there a point in the story where they talk about having to crop out some pictures because yeah. he would be grabbing <laughs> women and they didn't want that image? Yes, and a company parties too, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I guess like, he got drunk yeah, a number of times yeah. and made advances and stuff. But they did say it extended past that. Uh, right, yeah, no, no. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, not to, not to kind of overshadow that, but unfortunately when it gets past the alcoholic and that kind of... Even if he wanted to use that as some kind of an excuse, it's yeah, no isolated instance. I guess it was exactly pretty ongoing. Absolutely, uh, there was a Disney spokesperson made the following statement: "We are committed to maintaining an environment in which all employees are respected and empowered to do their best work. We appreciate John's candor and sincere apology. Fully support his sabbatical. He apparently sent out a full memo. I haven't read it." Uh, where I he, did. yeah, he apparently like apologized and, but do you guys, do you guys think this is enough? Like, do you think this is actually, I, I don't know. This feels kind of, uh, this doesn't feel like what's been happening for a lot of other people in this situation. A lot of people have been getting fired and, or right. resigning ahead of it. Well, I think he tried to get ahead of the curve because I think he knew what was coming uh, with the story because the story that I first read was he's taking a leave of absence. It wasn't that, you know, the whole allegation thing. So the first thing I read was his memo and that stuff. And you read and you're like, okay, I can read between the lines of, I'm sorry if I did something appropriate to you and I never meant to blah, blah, blah. But you know, then again, you launch right into the allegations and it's like, okay, here's the real story. So enough, I don't know if that's a word. Um, It's just getting to the point where every day now we're just hearing a new name and seeing someone tumble down a hill. Yeah. And uh, I'm conflicted because I kind of see this is how I'm, and I may be totally wrong about this, but what I see is the Hollywood reporter having this information and then contacting Lassiter and being like, we're going to publish this now as Coco is coming out because that's going to be the most newsworthy. That's going to be when people are going to pay the most attention to it because Coco just came out. And I just see Lassiter being like, okay. And then he, you know, he like goes forward with it. Like he doesn't deny it. And yeah. So that's how I'm seeing it. That's the most cynical version where I have a feeling like people I've heard, like people have been sitting on this info for a while and Disney, I think was probably hoping I would have to imagine they were hoping that this wouldn't really affect anything until way after Coco came out, but that's clearly not the case. And I feel really conflicted because on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, like this needs to be out. This needs to be public. On the other hand, I'm like, this feels kind of gross. Like the whole thing. Well, I mean the fact that people are leveraging this kind of stuff for a story or (laughs) the fact that, you know, I mean, like why wasn't this out there before and again these conversations are everyone's having and i think it was a reckoning that was going to happen yeah well i mean and it's not going to stop i mean this is not going to stop what i feel like is going to be for i don't know years (laughs) like that's the way it feels at this point every day is just a new one and you know you hope like okay maybe there are a good few people left and Hmm. i don't know it's a weird we're in a weird time right now good time weird time it's just, i don't yeah. I really don't know how to describe it well the silver lining obviously is that 
this stuff is coming out in the public, you know, and we're, we're finding out about it. But obviously, like, it's just, a, just, just so depressing to find out, like, your heroes, like, people that, you know, I've personally looked up to, someone that yep. I've, you know, who's been partly responsible for some of my favorite movies and right. for, you know, really my life being the way it is. And, like, I, I just... It it just really it really stings, you know. And I I wish I really I hope the best for Lasseter, but I really hope that I hope more for his victims to be able to get past this because I can't imagine being in that situation where this guy who like you know the public loves is like getting away with like making you uncomfortable at work constantly. Like I just can't even imagine that. Well, yeah, I mean, it just. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no. I was just gonna say. I mean, even though we like you said, Donato, like we've been hearing these stories for a while. This one really just stung, at least for me. I mean, it I wasn't expecting this and I felt really blindsided by it because I mean, John Lester is pretty much the face of Pixar. He is like the head guy. He's the one like you were saying that really represented Pixar all these years and to know that these things were going on in the place that I mean, I always thought it was like one of the best work environments in the world to know that these uh, you know, this stuff was going on. It's just kind of heartbreaking. And to be clear, well, like he's not really the face too. of Pixar anymore, really. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. still, like, I mean, I still think like when you associate Pixar with one person, it's probably going to be John Lasseter. Either him or Capital. Yeah, sure. That's fair. Well, Lasseter also got taken on to a Disney animation as well. So when he right. got taken on and Disney uh, Pixar got acquired, you know, he became a head honcho, not only at Pixar, but also Disney Animation Studios. So it's like he had his, you know, he, he had his hand in both aspects so that only increased his range and increased the people that he was interacting with right that's why you know we've seen such a resurgence of like high quality films from disney you know he he's yeah he started helping them out with like meet the robinsons all the way up to moana you know yeah and uh just to see this happen he's really become in my opinion more the face of disney animation which includes pixar uh so it is a little bit removed like if anything people have complained over the years that he spent less time really focusing on the Pixar stuff. Like they've been doing the sequels and that Pixar for a while has really been about Catmull. It's been about Pete doctor and, and Jonas Rivera, Del Carmen and mm-hmm. uh, Lee Unkrich. So I, I, I don't, I don't see this as something that should or necessarily, I don't think I don't see this as something that should necessarily like denigrate Coco as a film or get people to be like, Oh, you know, screw Pixar, screw Walt Disney animation studios. Uh, but I, in the same, at, at the same time, I, I just wonder like, is, is an absence enough? Like, I, like at some point we almost have to start delineating between like offenses that are fireable and offenses that are whatever this consequence is, because we are getting to that point where like what some people have done is notably worse than what other people have done. But we sort of have been shying away from that conversation because we've just been focusing on like Harvey Weinstein. Okay. Kevin Spacey. Okay. Uh, Louis CK, you know, and like a lot of it has been sort of in the same camp, but can we make a difference? Yeah, and it's, you know, the kind of thing of where people have made a career out of this. It's not just one-time offenses. You know, we're talking about people that it's become a lifestyle for them, and they've that's how they've built their they've built their credibility on the backs of this terrible yeah. actions. You know, it's yeah. it's a strange, yeah. It's it's they just felt, weird to talk about, you know? Yeah, they really, like, it, it's apparent that they felt enabled to do all this stuff, and that we're just seeing just a mere, like, speck of what's been going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So, it I, I do believe this is just a mere spec at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. That's the other thing, yeah. Because if we if you give Lasseter a pass, I mean, what if something comes out next week and like you find out that like your forgiveness has like enabled this to like go on, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's weird. 
I mean, we're just we're watching it from the beginning of the story, so it's very possible that by Friday or whenever this episode comes out, there'll be even more stuff. Yeah. That we don't yeah. know about yet. So I mean the story's still ongoing. We don't know the full extent of it. We don't know who's gonna come out and publicly say anything. Right. It's yeah, it's wasn't it's, there a uh, female director that got fired from Brenda Brave? Chapman. Yeah, yeah. Chapman. I, she's like the only she's, I think only, she's like the only d- female director yeah. of a Pixar movie and she was fired. Is it terrible that the first thing I think about, you know, when this stuff comes out is like, my God, does like Brenda Chapman have a story? I don't know. I don't know. I mean that was yeah, no matter what, that yeah. was a pretty that was not a great moment for Pixar. Right. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um well, uh, you know, assume the worst, Cinemaholics. Uh, when you're hearing this, you probably know way more than we do. Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, that's that's. I, I don't want to feel that way, but I do kind of feel like you have to assume the worst. But uh, maybe that's not the right way to go about it. Um, I mean, judging by the fact that not many people are shocked anymore when this stuff comes out, it's more just oh, another one. Oh yeah, uh, it starts to lose its newsworthiness after a while, but um, or it's no, going to be a train sense. that keeps rolling on, you know. But okay. That, so now that we've started this, this entire thing on the, the most positive note possible, let's talk about Pixar's Coco. Uh, this movie, a lot of us have really been looking forward to Coco for a while because I, I think ever since The Good Dinosaur, it was the only original Pixar film, and it still is, that we know about that's in development. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not aware of any original Pixar film. I may, I think I might have heard like one or two things like set for like beyond toy story four, but that's it. No, I think you're right in the same camp on that. Cause you got Incredibles two, toy story four. And I mean, nothing is really set in stone after that. I feel actually we did hear about, I think at the, it might've been the last D 23. I think they, we did find out that there's like a, there's a new one coming out about like mythical creatures living in like a modernized world. I've kind of forgotten what that's supposed to be about though. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have a title or anything. And it's, that's- pretty early the 2021 if not yeah it should be 2020 if, if not 2021 uh, right yeah so, i remember there was like a mysterious one that was like suggested but not officially announced for that time period yeah yeah i think i think it has been a i don't know if it's been officially announced actually i don't know well i can tell you just by looking at imdb that there are three titles it not announced but they have three slates for 2020 2020 and 2021 so yeah, Who and knows they've said shoved in there. Yeah, they said that there are like more movies coming that are based on original ideas. But yeah, um, so good stuff to look forward to. Just you know, two years from now, um, I was almost at three years, and no, it's almost twenty eighteen. Go us, time man. <laughs> it's it's pretty evil, but okay. Coco, uh, this this one, as I mentioned earlier, was directed by Lee Unkrich, as well as Adrian Molina, who's worked on quite... They've both worked on a lot of Pixar movies. Uh, Adrian Molina, I can't remember another Pixar film that he's co-directed. Uh, I know that he's been a storyboard artist, and he's worked on screenplays, but uh, this I think this might actually be his first co-director, and he also has a writing credit, so... The movie stars Anthony Gonzalez, Gael Garcia Bernal, uh, Benjamin Bratt, Alana Ubach, uh, Rene Victor, and plenty more. A really great cast. Uh, I think I want to say they're all uh, Mexican voice actors, or at least like just Hispanic Latinx voice actors. I, I might be wrong about that, but the film. Uh, well, uh, oh, go ahead. The Good Luck Charm, right? John Rassenberg is in it. I think that's the only person I know that was. Ah, uh, yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> in the main cast, though, I think like for main characters, but uh, 
The synopsis is aspiring musician Miguel confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music enters the land of the dead to work out the mystery of his family. Uh, so let's start with you, Will Ashton. What did you think okay. of Pixar's Coco? Oh boy. I mean, we've talked about a little bit what we felt about the film, so I don't think it's going to be a surprise to say that we haven't I, gone into detail though. Right. But we have said that, I mean, I really enjoy the film. I haven't made that secret yet. Uh, I do think that, like, I mean, I've mentioned before in the podcast that I hold a soft spot for pretty much every Pixar movie. There isn't one Pixar movie that I outright dislike. But there is, I think, a noticeable difference. And we were talking about this with maybe Laster leaving that the last couple of years haven't been their best and brightest besides Inside Out. Um, it just feels like they haven't had that same magic, that same spark that they had back in their earlier and better days. But this movie, Coco, it just feels like a good return to form in every sense. Like, it just feels like the Pixar movie that we used to get, you know, on the regular. And it just is so refreshing to see, you know, this new perspective, this new environment, this new unique personality that we get to see. We never got to see in the Pixar universe, let alone in most other wide release films. And it just I mean, it's a pretty magical thing to see. I mean, it just is good, wholesome entertainment. All the way through. I mean, I, the characters are well realized. I don't think the plot is super unique. I mean, it's kind of formulaic in its style. But I think what really makes the film work is that they build the environment and the ancestry of the characters enough that you really feel invested and warmed to who they are and what they represent. That you just don't care about those little things. And you're so entertained and immersed in this world that it is just such a fun ride. And I mean, it's... All that emotions, too, that you just love for a Pixar movie. So there are very few negative things I'm going to say in this review. Uh, what about you, Matt Zanato? Yeah, I'll say even less negative things because <laughs> I think this is really – it's going to be probably one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I can't tell you 100% why right off the bat because it took me a while to like think about it. But uh, you know, the first thing to me is the aspect of family and also the inclusion factor that Pixar is going for here, uh, because you have you know Disney does Moana and you get you know the native culture going on there, and then Pixar comes right back with Coco and they go totally Dia de los Muertos and they this rich backstory and history, uh, you know, from a point of view that many of us viewers don't actually know. You know, it's very heavily uh, religion. It's very heavily all those kind of spiritual influences. Uh, but it, in going to that day of the Deadland, it gives the Pixar animation team so much freedom to have fun with that. Like, it, it's just exploding with different colors, and you get the uh, spirit guide animals, these like pinata colored lions and crap like that. Uh, but also, you know, the story it really hits the end, and I spent the last about I don't, know, I don't know ten minutes probably like crying through it, like or choking back like some kind of tear in some way. You can tell us uh, the truth. You were, the, you were yeah, I cried. <laughs> I cried for a good half an hour. I'll take it back then. Uh, but no, it, it actually, it's one of the most effective uh, Pixar stories, I will say. I don't think they've done better work since Ratatouille, in my eyes. Uh, you know, backing backing off what like Will said, is like all the characters are so well realized, and the story itself doesn't do anything especially special. I mean, you have Miguel, you know, trying to find his rock star family member only to find out something else that we won't spoil on this. Uh, but number one, the music is absolutely killer. Number two, the technical aspects are tremendous because as someone who plays guitar, you know, I'm watching these animated characters 
pulling off strings and doing these things that, you know, probably more fluid fashion than I could even do in real life. And um, it just all comes down to that animation factor. And it just looks so good. Story can get you so far and it gets you halfway there. But this, the actual visuals and the actual immersion that Pixar does in Coco is, it just really goes above and beyond. It, you know, you feel the sense of camaraderie and family going on here so heavy. Hmm. Wow. Uh, man, I'm, I'm agreeing with so much of what you're saying. I do want to make a comment about, uh, well, there, there's another movie about Dia de los Muertos. And uh, it, it's the book of life. there. There's yeah, a movie the book called of Book of Life, and if you've been following any sort of Pixar news at all, you'll know that people have been kind of complaining that like Coco just looks like a ripoff of that movie. And I've been a vocal, vocal critic of those critics because, like, I liked Book of Life. That's that's a fine film. It's nice. It's it's Guillermo del Toro at his best uh in terms of like just environments and uh you know just character design. And I know like. You know, Matt, you just saw his newest movie, Shape of Water, and like, and yeah. so you know, like, I'm not not to knock at all what Del Toro did with that film, but that film, what it did, it did it's such a different thing. This Coco is so like, if you, I I almost want to like predict that people are going to be making boom goes a dynamite jokes if you're familiar with those, like, oh, someone goes to the land of the dead and there's music, you know what I mean? But Coco is such a wonderfully original thing because. Uh, I, I want to talk about specifically two things. Uh, the the underlying message of the film uh, in terms of like how, how they relate culture and how Mex- how they relate Mexican culture to something that people all over the world can understand. Yep. Uh, there's that. And then there's this other thing where they don't just take the idea of remembering your family, you know, where, Oh, I remember my family pass on their story. That that's a big, like emotional heart of the film but they also have this secondary message and it's almost just as strong where it's saying what would you give up to chase your passions to realize your ambitions that was where the movie got me the most because it it does what i do i think what pixar has been doing really well uh in the last few years even if their worlds haven't been the most creative since inside out you know, mainly because it's cars and finding Dory. And, you know, they, these are, these are movies that aren't necessarily taking us to like places we've never seen before. Right. And I think, Will, that's where a lot of that Pixar magic tends to come from. We could also say about story too, but there, there are things that I really liked about cars three and finding Dory and the good dinosaur to an extent and inside out where they, you have this, you have this deconstruction of an idea that we take for granted, follow your heart is an idea we take for granted. And Coco kind of brings up like, yeah, 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 but slow down. Family is also important. And like following your heart can lead to some dark things because what if your heart sucks? And like stuff like that is where I love Pixar the most because we know they're really good at archetypes and just making worlds out of things we've never considered being emotionally invested in, like toys and bugs and monsters. Here, they're making us... They've done that there for an entire culture, you know, for Mexican culture and a holiday that, uh, as Matt said, we don't have a lot of context for and experience with, but you learn a lot about this holiday. You learn about its values and it's all in a just very entertaining and well-done story. And I do agree. I think we both all agree that the story's pretty predictable. And honestly, I wasn't really in it until getting into like the second act, but yeah. It, it's form. It is formulaic, and you. A lot of people will see it coming. What? Why do you guys think 
it doesn't ruin the movie because I'm still sort of trying to figure that out because it didn't ruin it for me. And I think in other movies it would have. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think. Oh, no, you go ahead. I'm handing it to no, you. you. Nope. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no, I, I was just going to say that I do think, like I was saying before, that it is the uniqueness of the perspective and the environments that really makes it stand out. Like, because they spent so much time developing everything else around the film, you're engulfed in it and you want to be more invested in it. And also it just flows really well. It's a very entertaining film. It's pretty consistent with the jokes and just keeping it uh, pretty, you know, pretty fast going. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think like, it's not like a plot we've seen like a hundred times, but I mean, I just think the predictability of it doesn't necessarily detract the way it could have, I guess, because it doesn't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, my thoughts here might have to dwell in the spoiler. So I'll let Matt go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, Pixar always kind of aims right for the heart. And, you know, to what you were saying, John, they're always going to pull off some kind of, you know, even if it's not family oriented, they're going to pull off some message that hits and resonates with everyone in the audience. And in Coco, they do it, you know, times 10. It everyone has family. Everyone has that kind of feeling of being pushed in a corner, and you know, oh, my family doesn't love me, and blah blah blah. But like, no, you idiot, they do. And it's so simple, but it's something that you don't see wholly often. So Coco kind of dives right into it. Also, I really like the dealing with the afterlife in this film, uh, which is not an easy thing for a child to go into. And you know, I'm sure kids have plenty of questions about death and the unknown and stuff like that. I mean, we all do. Uh, but the way Pixar handles it is something that's not scary. It's not off-putting, and yeah. it, it kind of brings the whole kind of realm of the unknown and land of the dead. And it's a really like sweet message that kids can kind of feel okay about, and they don't, they're not going to have those awkward questions afterwards. Where like I made some dumb comparison in my review though, but about like storks, and it's like okay, all, all storks does is raise so many questions about where babies come from for children, and poor parents afterwards going to be like uh yeah so that's not really how it happens Where, but with like coco i mean you there those questions aren't going to be there kids are going to walk away thinking like you know oh you know when grandma and grandpa passes away something like that like not to get like deep and heavy here but right it, it works and it works so well and it just kind of has that com- like that family aspect again i'm going to keep saying it it just you know it just hits you right in the heart you can't avoid it uh, have you guys listened to the version of the soundtrack that's all in Spanish? No. No, it, not yet. <laughs> it is so much better. It, it, like, the music in this is pretty good. It's uh, Michael Giacchino, and I, I love it. I, I've, listened to the, I've been listening to the soundtrack constantly because I think, I think the song Remember Me is just one of easily one of Pixar's best original songs and uh, waterworks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are a few other really good ones here and they're so much better. Like when they're in like fully Spanish, un poco loco is one that just, <laughs> I know it, <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with that song because of the way that the way that they sing it, like in the actual Spanish, when it's not like the Spanglish sort of thing, it's a little smoother. And I really, I can't wait to watch this movie completely in Spanish. And, that that was a feat as well. I think uh, you touched on this too, Matt. One of, one of the most impressive things about this movie is the fact that they made the skeleton design uh, not too scary, right? Like not scary at all, really. But like I don't, they still made it fun. Like they were able to make right. something that could have been really creepy and something that would have been like kind of gross horror or something that would have begged a lot of questions, like the Cars universe, right? Instead of that, we get 
just this universe that like makes a lot of sense for some weird reasons. We, we get introduced to, uh, to rules of the afterlife that, yeah, they don't feel forced. They don't stretch and they're just, it's just simple. And I, I don't know, really good world building here. Well, I think that's more the magic of Pixar where, you know, going back to the skeleton forms, I mean, they literally are just bones floating in place. There's no connectors. There's no weird, like kind of configuration. It's literally just all the bones floating in place, but that gives Pixar this weird kind of freedom to have contorted motions and heads spinning off and stuff like, like it gets so cartoonish, but in a way that doesn't seem overly goofy. Like it's, yeah. it's just so hard to hit that balance. And like, you know, we're talking in circles here saying the same thing almost, but just Pixar is so good at bringing people into a story and getting them lost in it. That's the whole thing. Never once did I sit there going like, all right, there's talking skeletons and a flying pinata monster. And like, it's like crap like that. Like none of that made sense in the story because, you know, I'm totally invested in if Miguel's going to, even get out of the land of the dead alive. You and know, if Frida Kahlo is going to have <laughs> her, her masterpiece unfold. I could have watched her making sculptures for like, however long that movie was. I, I swear to God. I, I adore all those inside references, you know, that I had to look up cause I wasn't familiar. Like I had never heard of Alabrijes. I never heard of Frida Kahlo. Like, I guess not. In the, oh, you've heard of her, but like you know what I mean. Wait, I like, say, wait, you haven't heard of Frida Kahlo? Yeah, yeah wait, but like, say, yeah. I didn't didn't <laughs> know on. much about. Like, it's just one of those names. But like in that country, like she's you know obviously like so well known, and it's just I don't know. It was such a good. Uh, it it was just such a good joke that they did with like Hector dressing up as her. Not a spoiler it happens really early on, and I, I I just really appreciate like the inside things. Like I, I think they make references too to like artists and uh, music talents and you, you oh, really get a, a yeah like you get you get yeah. a real sense of it and it, i did i that it's that inclusivity that you mentioned matt well what negative things do you want to say about coco negative things yeah uh well one thing i was just gonna say real quick on the frida thing is that like i think one thing that's really impressive about the film is that something like that could have been really tasteless or really shallow and i like that the movie was never that like, I, I almost think, thought like, they said her name wrong to like be a parody of it instead of the real person and then well i mean the unibrow is pretty you know (laughs) dead giveaway yeah Yeah. i mean but uh negative things i mean we were talking a bit about this and i think even though the second half of the film is really where the film comes alive there are a couple things that i think narratively felt a little rushed or they they didn't quite come together as satisfying as i want and i'm not talking about the main stuff i'm talking more like some of the minor subplots that I feel like for the sake of making the film a tight, like 105 minutes, mm-hmm. they kind of had to be like, okay, like you, we just need to tighten this. Let's, let's get to the next thing. Cause the movie's in this perpetual state of motion that to slow it down, like one key moment would um, kind of disrupt the flow of the film. So I, I don't know what the best outcome for that one subplot would be, but I do find that's a pretty big negative for the I film. I think, I think I know what you're talking about. We talked about this and without, yeah. without delving into spoilers, there, there is, a subplot involving the like head matriarch of the land of the dead and sort of just like what happens with her. And it, it, yeah, I agree completely. It does feel a little rushed. And and I I think I want to see the movie again because I kind of want to reevaluate like how all that stuff goes down. Yeah. Because yeah, there, there was something that left a bad taste in my mouth, but it could just be the movie felt rushed because we were seeing it for the first time. I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about, Matt? Not really, because oh. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about more in spoilers, because I feel like it's worth discussing. But 
I would also say that I also wasn't super crazy about how they disposed of the villain. I found, but I'll, I'll talk about that I more agree. as well. I agree completely with that, actually. Um, but okay, it sounds like we've reached the end of our our bridge of petals, and uh, we need to we need to do our final <laughs> thoughts and grades, so we can get into some spoilers. Uh, let's wrap it up then. Matt Zanotto, what are your final thoughts and grade for Coco? Uh, final thought is that Coco finds about ninety nine percent more life in the dead than it you know a regular movie might with like reality, and uh, I'm I mean going off my grade on We Got Discovered, I'm giving it a four point five out of five. Awesome. That's like a, gosh, a, that's an A minus. It indeed is. Fantastic. Uh, Will Ashton, William, Yeah. what about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we said before, this movie's a celebration. Is the warm, inclusive, wholesome movie that we need this year. After just tons of just really bad things going down, this is just like that warm blanket of a movie that feels like, oh yeah, there are still things that you can cherish in this world and feel protective about and similar to lady bird if this movie doesn't make you connect to your family i mean you you might be uh dead you, you might be maverick <laughs> no, no pun intended here uh so yeah i'm gonna give it an a minus as well well uh, my final thoughts are simple uh i i honestly just think that the coco is a testament to the idea that good things happen to those who wait and movies that take five years or, and actually in Coco's case, it kind of, I think the idea was first pitched seven years ago, but movies that take their time and aren't rushed and come out when they need to come out, not so that they can come out before book of life in order to prove something, uh, because of what happened with Newt, for example, that whole thing with Rio, it just proves, yeah, I know. Right. It, it just, proves, I wanted to see, Newt. I know, I know. I, I feel like the Rio thing was just, not a good reason, but anyway, yeah. I think when we see a movie that Pixar doesn't give up on and they keep going forward with, you really see a story that's as polished as can be. And that's, that's pretty close to what we get with Coco, you know, flaws aside. And I think that it, it's definitely good enough to, to stand up with some of Pixar's very best. So uh, the, for the first time in Cinemaholics, I think this is a triple A minus episode. Zion one as well. Yeah. Holy poop. We've never had a triple Good report card. That's never happened, I don't think. Oh, boy. Thanks to Will Ashton, but oh well. Didn't we give a triple A to um, Lady Bird? No, I don't think so, because... Well, okay, just, yeah, Maverick wasn't there for that. I don't remember. I don't remember at all. Okay. Maybe. Maybe we did. I should keep track of these things, shouldn't I? Anyway, so that's our review of Coco. Uh, let's get into spoilers for a couple of minutes, and then we'll get on with our mini-reviews. So uh, if you don't want to be spoiled on Coco, we're just going to talk about a couple of nitpicks we have, and that's it. Uh, spoilers for Coco start now, and if you don't want to listen to them, just go to the timestamps, and you'll see when our mini-reviews kick off, and you can just jump to that, uh, or just fast-forward, do whatever you need to do. But you have been warned. Let's talk about Coco in spoilery detail. So, Matt, what Will and I were talking about was the subplot involving Imelda and Hector, just how uh, yes, that yes. goes down. Do you kind of see where we're coming from? I see where you're coming from. Um, I think I was lost in other aspects, and I think that's where, you know, I totally get why you guys are focused on it, and you're watching it, and oh my god, why is this kind of coming out of nowhere? And maybe, like you were saying about the second viewing, I might notice that more, because I'm not kind of ADD gazing around the world that they've built in Coco. But well, we um, might notice I don't, it I don't think it was that. Would you? See, I disagree, because if I'm looking at, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm saying that. that if I rewatch it, I think I might notice oh, it less. Oh, you notice it less. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. Interesting. No, I, t- to me, I mean, with what you're saying right off the bat, I don't think it was that big a deal. I think with this, the message, the story is trying to tell. I don't know. I don't think it. Do- you guys tell me why then. Well, I just feel like it gives her less agency. It just kind of feels like she is too willing to forgive something that like clearly disrupted her whole family dynamic for generations. Like it sends a weird message almost. Cause like I, I was a big fan of her whole, like I'm going to like pick up this family from the bootstraps, start a shoemaking empire. And it's all kind of just, I don't know. It just feels like he waltzes in and you know, she forgives everything eventually. And I don't know. Maybe I don't don't think it's waltzing in though, because I mean, we do know that Ernesto de la Cruz killed him. I mean, he was going home and Ernesto very killed true. him. Very true. But like she, that, they do introduce that very easily. But he like still walked out on them. And that's like a pain that's not really just going to heal. Agreed. So, yeah. No, no, I agree. But, you know, he realized his mistake and he was going to correct it. And that yeah. he was poisoned. I guess I just. Tardisa. For me, I guess I just wish they kind of. They didn't like patch it up so neatly. I guess it was just more like we can work from this. We're a family. We can heal from this. If they did something like that, as opposed to like, Oh, uh, Oh, you kid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I can't say no to you forever. You know, <laughs> right. Like, uh, like, yeah. Like something like this doesn't clear it, but I'll give you one last chance. Also, like when she yeah. starts, when she starts singing and has that whole set piece, I feel weird to me. Cause it was almost like her, it was almost like the movie taking his side and being like, oh, you shouldn't have banned music and all this stuff because it's what you really love. And I, it felt a little aggressive. Well, I mean, they shouldn't me. have banned music. I think that is a little bit of the story. That's I mean, I'll keep point. arguing I never with you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, 100%. Like, they shouldn't have banned the music. Why was this poor little kid not allowed to pursue his dreams of playing guitar and stuff like that? Just because generations ago, one explicative walked out on his family. You, you raise a very good argument, Matt Donato. So... I, I also also um, th- this isn't like a big big spoiler, but I was I wanted to know what you guys thought of Dante, like his. Oh whole my god! Thing. <laughs> yeah, well, how did we not even talk about Dante? I know I, I feel <laughs> bad we didn't mention it. I, I forgot to mention him in my re- review, and like I felt oh, so no. bad because he's hilarious. He's like it's just little goofball dog, but he's like a stray. He's an outcast, and oh, I want a Dante. <laughs> what I love about Dante as a character is that like. He's ugly cute. Like, he's not, like... Like, a lot of these Disney movies or anime movies... Well, no, no, but I mean mean that as a term of endearment. Like, he doesn't just look overly cute, like, something... um, I don't know, like the pig in Moana or something. Like he kind of reminds me. Well, that's me what of, like, I was referencing. I was, he's more like the yeah, hey, hey, hey from. I think you thought I was saying oh. like hey, hey, Will. Like, oh hey, yeah, bro. Oh, I, I <laughs> don't you talk about Dante? Yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah, I agree. that's a great yeah. example. His yeah. like whiskers are all like kind of unkempt, and you know he's got all these like stray hairs and stuff like that. Yeah, and the way his like head's always creaking around, and he can't like keep it straight. <laughs> I'm right there with right. you guys. Uh, at what point in the movie did you guys start crying, Will? Oh, uh, I'm a machine. I don't cry. <laughs> All right. You'll tell me later. Yeah. When you're off the record. Uh, I'm telling you, was, the only movie I've ever cried in is Rats in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> that was, was not said, like the last 10 minutes for me, like legitimately. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was. Uh, well, it actually happened during the lullaby scene uh, when he uh, saying remember yep. me. Like I started to water up and then. When he redoes the lullaby to Grandma Coco, that's when I just lost it. I was oh like, yeah, it's, it's over. <laughs> Game over, man. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Will Ashton, uh, you made a you made a comment about Ernesto de la Cruz and how he meets yeah. his end. Can I agree well, with you so much about how that just doesn't 
Mm-mm. Just doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense in like the yeah. real well, life. The the letters yeah. and what? Come on. Right. Well, that's the thing is that like they establish that the only way you can get out of this world is if someone or if everyone in the outside world basically forgets about you. But the thing is, like Ernesto, everyone's gonna remember him. Yeah. Like. If anything, he's just reputation's ruined. But like, I see he the still creative exists. challenge Pixar face right. here because they were like, "Oh man, this murderer is still going to be remembered fondly," and that's not a good, clean, you know, arc. Yeah, he, he needs to he get his needed, uh, He need like an end, like that Game of Thrones thing, like the shame scene, like something like that. <laughs> yeah. The procession of shame just around him. I, yeah. I don't watch the show, but it, that would make more sense than like the. I mean, I thought it was cute the idea of, like the bell killing him twice. But yeah, it just doesn't make any sense that that was fine. I didn't. I bought Wait, it. Like, can I can I ask him. a question yeah. real quick? Yeah. Do we yeah. know that he's dead? It's heavily implied that he died. I don't think he's like. But he's dead. in the afterlife. He's in the How does he die? I I really just think he's still alive. Like, yeah, I think that was just symbolic. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that yeah. was exactly. He's not dead. He's gonna, like you said, he's gonna be remembered forever, but no one's actually gonna pay attention to him. And he never went back to Earth anyway. He was also uh, had a party every Dia de los Muertos, right. and he partied with the people that didn't go over. Right. Yeah. yeah um, that was another weird I will thing. Say, though, so many people don't go over, but that's a whole separate right. discussion. Also, it does open up a little <laughs> bit of a can of worms. What about all the other people who die outside of Mexico? The fact that we don't share their memories and have them on the wall right. means that they're going to oh, yeah, be no, forgotten forever, yeah, and no, I can't... No, we don't get to go to the land of the dead. None of us do. <laughs> only, only Mexican culture. It's fair. I was, uh, I was just going to say real quick, though, with the Ernesto thing. I feel like the camera, like, subplot where, like, everything, like, he confesses on the camera and everyone's shocked. I feel like that's kind of cliched at this point. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's been it done, does, like, a For me, the only reason it works well is because it is so hammy, like Ernesto de la Cruz himself, like, all the little movie bits, which I love sure. the movie snippets he's in. So I do oh, actually right. buy Fantastic. that he would yeah. monologue as a, like, classic movie villain because he's such that personality. That's my headcanon, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah. we, we've talked at length about Coco, uh, but that, that should do it then for this review. Uh, glad, glad you guys enjoyed it as much as, as I did. Uh, it really is great to see another great Pixar film. But okay, Let's, uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going to do our mini reviews. All right, let's get into our mini reviews. Uh, we have a, quite a few things to get to, and I want to start strong. Okay, the Disaster Artist. Uh, I have okay. not seen this movie. It expands in more theaters next week. But Matt Donato and Will Ashen, you both have seen the film. Who wants to go first to talk about it and explain what it is? Of course, I will very much let Mr. William go uh, first. I... Oh, thank you. For anyone who doesn't know, the Disaster Artist is the official Hollywoodized biography of. The Room. If you don't know what The Room is, it's notoriously known as, quote-unquote, the worst movie ever made. It's a vanity project made by this reclusive, just bizarre guy named Tommy Wiseau, who no one knows his real age, no one knows his uh, ethnic origin, no one knows exactly how much money he has, but it's suggested that he has upwards of a like, couple million. I mean, who knows how much. Uh, even today, people don't really know how much he has. But anyway, in the early 2000s, he made a movie called The Room, like I said, and it's just, I mean, just one of the weirdest movies you'll ever see in your whole life. And everyone who's seen it is just like, what is this thing? Like, how is this possible? Was this made by an alien? Like, what is going on? 
And so this movie is kind of the response to that by James Franco, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and a couple others to kind of explain the mystery of the room while also giving a little more of a bittersweet humanity to it. Because as portrayed here, Tommy Wiseau is kind of a earnest guy who's trying bitterly to live out the American dream as the next American actor creating the next American drama. And his odds are completely against him. He doesn't have the conventional Hollywood look. He doesn't really have his youth towards him, even though he tries to act like he's in his early 20s. Uh, but he just goes against the odds with this guy he befriends called Greg Sestero, who wrote the book that the movie is based on. And uh, that's played by Dave, well, Greg is played by Dave Franco and Tommy is played by James Franco, who also directs the film. And that, in a way, kind of gives the film a weird parallel to the room because Tommy is the obviously the director, producer, everything of the room and James Franco has a very heavy hand in the making of the disaster artists. And by that extent, he very much sympathizes with the plight of Tommy. It's very easy that you can make a film that just laughs at the room. I mean, tons of people online have laughed at the room endlessly. They go for a little bit more of like a Ed Wood approach where they understand their flaws. They don't try to make them anything more than they are. But at the same time, they sympathize with them and they understand where they're coming from. Uh, so, I mean, I'm someone who, with a little more of an emotional investment in the room because I've read the script. I've seen the room several times. I've actually spoken to Tommy once in college. Um, I just love this movie to pieces for just how weird it is. And, um, I was going excited, but very nervous. And ultimately I think it's a good film. I don't know if it's quite masterpiece territory because I think it is kind of clumsy in some of the same ways that the room is clumsy, but at the same time, it's also like the room highly earnest, very warm hearted, very sincere, very much a homey project that is just trying to connect on a human level with this brotherhood story and all that. And it's just, it's a good time. It's, it's definitely a Seth Rogen production. I think it's a lot more comedic than I was expecting, but that doesn't make it a bad thing. I think it's just their chance to kind of connect to a general audience who may or may not have seen the room. Uh, but I think it's going to be one that even if you haven't seen the film or you've seen it a thousand times, you're just going to connect to. Hmm. This, I'm, I, if I wasn't already really, really interested in seeing this one. Uh, yeah. The fact that it's a 24, the fact that like, just Tommy was is such a strange dude. And I'm so curious to get like yeah. Greg Sestero's take. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, uh have you read the book i'm guessing you have no no i'm guessing you have okay the book's amazing i mean the (laughs) book is probably uh, i read this year for the first time finally and it's probably my favorite book that i've read this year Hmm. before i read killer joy of course um it's it's yeah yeah uh it's just such a good like it's in the same way the movie is it's very entertaining but it's very informative of this weird process that you can never really wrap your head around how this thing was possibly made and the book is a little better at explaining the complexities of the story. I don't think I think the movie kind of glossed over a lot of stuff that I think could have made it an even richer and more compelling film. But I understand that they're going for kind of a more broader appeal. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they kind of took some shortcuts with the narrative. I, I don't think it makes it a better film necessarily, but it makes it a more widely appealing one. Uh, but I mean, anything you've heard good about James Franco's performance is totally earned. This guy it is easily one of his best performances and it's crucial to the film. Cause like this is a performance that 
it, if you make it too much of an impression, then there's no way you can take it seriously. If you try to subtract the general weirdness of Tommy's persona, then you don't really capture what makes a room so endearing and bizarre. And even though I'm not, some of the prosthetics kind of make him look a little bit more like Quasimodo and Lunchpack and Notre Dame than like the actual Tommy was so. Like, I don't know, like his like, the eye thing kind of threw me off sometimes. Um, I think he captures the mannerisms perfectly and he gets a voice surprisingly pretty well. Like, I mean, there are a couple of times where it doesn't quite, it sounds like James Franco doing the impression, but a lot of times it's pretty seamless. Like if you close your eyes, you may or you might actually think you're listening to Tommy talk. And that's a weird thing to get. Cause I mean, Tommy was so, so public and so well known at this point that, I mean, it's not like, you know, like Abraham Lincoln, where we only have like a picture go off of, we know all of Tommy's mannerisms and weird things and he gets it down pretty Close to perfect well, at I, times, which I, is incredible. I feel like we could get you talking about this for days, which is right. good because I think Disaster Artist will probably be our feature review next week. So, oh, good, good stuff. But uh, <laughs> Matt uh, Donato, yeah. uh, what, do, what do you make of all that? Are you agreeing with Will at all, or it's fine? Yeah, man. I mean, so I saw this at South by Southwest when it was announced as a quote-unquote work in progress screening, um, which was very. Tommy bizarre. was there, right? Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. So Tommy was yeah. there in the crowd. He's there with Rogan. Uh, he's there with Franco. He's there with the entire cast, basically. And the cast goes on for days on who was actually in the film. Um, so basically, he hadn't seen the movie yet. This was the first time Tommy was seeing the movie at all, which is weird that they told us this because then we're watching The Disaster Artist. And, you know, the entire time in my mind, you're watching a movie that. Yes, it's so respectfully well done, and it's so perfect with Franco's interpretation of Tommy, and it, it really does give justice to the man behind the madness in a way. But again, you don't know how he's taking it. Like This is a guy who spent years just chasing his own dream, and now you know Franco and Rogan and all these other people are kind of, you know, they're making a movie about it, and they're not, you know, they're making it about them in a way. So then... The movie ends and they get about halfway through the Q and A, and Tommy's like Tommy's in the audience. They didn't even invite him up. Tommy and Greg were both there, so halfway through, like somebody says, like, uh, "Can we like get Tommy on the stage?" So then, obviously, we're all cheering and like, "Yeah, Tommy was those on the stage." And then again, no one asks him questions, and it's kind of like, you know, he almost gets lost in all this stuff, and you do feel a bit weird laughing along with the disaster artist in a way. Um, it's just, it, it's just so strange that to know that he's there and you're at South by and you're laughing as James Franco makes fun of him on camera. But when it comes down to it, I'm going with Will and saying that it's just such a good freaking movie. I can't get around that enough. It really nails the whole, uh, you know, do it yourself kind of filmmaking and all this crazy stuff. But also if you see in the room and you sit there going like, all right, why during the sex scene is Tommy Wiseau humping this girl's belly? And then there's just a whole scene about, like, Tommy screaming about, you know, I know how to do the sex and, like, stuff like that. Like, just craziness. And you're like, is this I guy am where real? I am. Yeah, I am where I am. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, you're just going along with this ride. It, it just, it's so unfathomable to think that this happened when it did. And, like, it's coming from a, a man's, like, you know, retelling of this in a book. And you're like, Oh my God, this makes so much sense now. Like the scene where he's, or, you know, Tommy Wiseau and Greg are in the. I, does he love pizza in the book? Will is there a thing about like Tommy Wiseau always eating pizza? 
Uh, not necessarily. He drinks a lot of energy drinks. Uh, he, like, he like works out a lot. I love uh, in the disaster artist. Whenever they go out, he's eating pizza somewhere. <laughs> so like they're in a oh, pizza parlor. One thing he always does. I remember this. He always has warm water, but he never <laughs> drinks it. Yeah, this like the, again. This is the insanity that goes into the man that made the room a, a film and that that's I've never seen. touched insanity on. Insanity is a yeah. harsh word for. No, it it, it is. It's absolute right. utter insanity that this movie was made and it did what it did. And again, the culmination of the end. I'm obviously I'm not saying anything that's going to happen and stuff like that. But you know, there's a screening of the room, and it's just so tragic to see like Tommy's reaction because even to this day. You know, Tommy yeah. says it, it's a comedy. He's like, oh, yeah, I meant to make a comedy. But no, he meant to make a hardcore drama. And like the man was not OK when it got that reaction. So even to see that, it's just such like a bittersweet kind of yeah. movie. But it's one you can't help. But it's too good. Franco's going right. to he's going to get a Golden Globe for this. He's going to get a freaking Golden Globe. I was, yeah, I was going to say that the book. What's interesting is that the book actually ends just before the movie premieres. Like he gives his speech. Like, oh, I make my okay. movie. It's actually a, a lot more inspired. Like, his speech is, like, a lot more passionate. Like, I make this movie in my life, all this stuff. And then it ends with, like, Greg looking over at Tommy. He's, like, crying because he actually accomplished this thing. And it's like, oh, like, no matter what happens from here, he did it. He accomplished his goal. Kind of like that. Well, I don't want to give away what happens in the movie. But uh, yeah, exactly. that's his speech. And then, and then like, the, the movie starts, and that's where the book ends. So it's like, he give like, Greg, it's like he's kind of parting gift. Like, that, he's giving Tommy the best happy ending he could give and so i found it kind of interesting the movie actually expands on what happens after that but it makes sense that they do end it that way yeah i I actually i kind of think i like the ending where it just ends on tommy giving the speech and then walking away because like you said that's about this man accomplishing something and you know it it just plays into the joke more having it go a little longer but yeah no i'm giving it a very big thumbs up because you know if you make films especially or are in production stuff like this you just have to see this movie and it and if you're a room fan i mean what's better than seeing like nathan fielder and josh hutcherson and zach efron oh, play nathan, these characters yeah. that you've fielder, seen on screen oh my the, the cast list goes on for yeah. i have to watch this like right now <laughs> no no the cast list goes on for days of people in this movie oh my god yeah tons of cameos i don't want to give away oh yeah, also no. please stay until the very end of the credits because <laughs> minus um with the exception of spider-man homecoming this is probably the best end credit scene i've mm. seen all year and it's just perfect like all right it's just a really funny ending note to end on uh yeah i mean we'll talk about it more next week obviously yeah. john uh, i have a lot a lot 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 more thoughts on this film uh well, but well, definitely like matt said you know if you're a fan of the room if you're not a fan of the room definitely check it out well, sounds so. Good. My only it's, question, uh, though, actually, I do want to ask Will: Do you think you yeah. have to see the room to see the disaster artist? Because I've been asked that a few Ooh. times, and I have my opinion, but I'm curious. Uh, honestly, I think the movie explains enough what's weird and what's like bizarre about the film that you don't necessarily. I think you can appreciate the film without having seen the room enough. Like, I think you can just see it as like a straightforward Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy. Okay, but I you think if I you have do? seen the room. I would tell people yeah. if you don't want to sit through the room, I really enjoyed the nostalgia critics breakdown of that movie. So you could, but you could watch that. I mean, it's not that long and you kind of get the gist, uh, but you well, also get uh, an intercut with Doug Walker's shtick. If you're into that at all. Yeah. I was just going to say too. I also, I feel like at this point, like culturally, like everyone has seen that. I did not hit ta- I did not. I think yeah, everyone's yeah. seen that. I think everyone's YouTube, seen that. Like, yeah. YouTube makes it so accessible. I think everyone, yeah. 
everyone's seen like the scene where he trashes the room and stuff. I think those like I think those moments are so key to pop culture. Also, you know, what the story, Mark? And oh hi, Mark. Everyone says that. This oh, point. Hi, I think everyone's Yeah, oh hi doggy. <laughs> uh everyone's customer. kind of aware of like those things. And the movie doesn't really go into like the super weird stuff. It only kind of touches them lightly. So I'd say you can probably, I mean, I think anyone can enjoy the film if you have any familiarity with Tommy Wiseau or not. But I think everyone should see The Room at one point in their it's life. A, it's so I don't hard know to why you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you mean? It's, it, it's a fascinating movie to watch, I think. I, don't I was going to say, everybody. It's, it's the most intriguing movie I've ever seen. I, I can understand why a lot of people would just not be able to sit through it. I, I think most people, I think people who yeah. love movies, though, who are really in the weeds of like how movies get made. I think it's it's a fascinating watch and it's hilarious and you can laugh you can you can hate watch it right, but if some people I I, I know plenty of people who d- aren't into that who don't like to hate watch anything. Well, I can't imagine like watching the room by yourself. I was gonna say like, yeah, you, you just have, see a midnight. You have to watch with it. Mm, yeah, get a whole or get just the whole even like with some friends gang together. Yeah. Possum. Yeah, Dude, it is really like the modern day. We'll be actual alcoholics for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the disaster artist is—it's uh, coming out limited release this Friday, December first. Uh, it's going to be hitting expanded release uh, the following week. So uh, we'll probably be—I think that'll be for sure our featured review because that and Itania are really only the two movies on my radar that I really want to check out uh, for December eighth. So Itania? Huh? Uh, I said Itania. That movie looks so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that one. But uh, and there's a lot of other limited release movies coming out, and we'll t- we'll get to them. But while while we have uh, Matt Zanato here, Matt, you saw uh, The Shape of Water. Uh, I Guillermo, did Guillermo del Toro's new film, and I, I've been meaning to get your thoughts on it. And you just watched it, so what can you tell us about it? Um, I will try to get through my thoughts at this very moment in time because I literally just got back from that screening yeah, <laughs> afterwards, sure. so I didn't even have time to like write them down and kind of think them out. Mini mini but- review. Yeah, I, I could definitely do a mini review. I mean, for those of you that don't know, uh, The Shape of Water is Guillermo del Toro's. It's very much an old Hollywood romance, except it's you know very Guillermo del Toro. So it's between a mute cleaner at a government facility and the Gilman aqua creature that is now inhabiting one of the cells. They have a chance interaction at one point. Uh, she kind of takes to this monster because it doesn't see her quote-unquote lesser qualities and so begins a breakout kind of scene and the shape of water takes form as you will uh i really don't want to give away any other plot details because that's the whole thrill of it but i will say you know do you guys want me to get spoilery here or just keep it really vague i would say i'd say very uh, as I'd... vague as you can got it yeah because scaremo del toro was very like he didn't even say like what the movie is about before like the first trailer came out. So I think the less details are better at this point. I, I've read I mean, some things about it from like cause yeah. of, from Tiff, and yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to stay as spoiler free as I can. No, definitely, I will keep it spoiler free in the sense of you guys. I just didn't know how your mini reviews go, but yeah. So sure. I've been keeping it very base level spoiler free. I will say that the main draw was ruined for me. Uh, John, you mentioned out of TIFF, a lot of critics came right out and they started tweeting their reactions. I was kind of pissed off because they led with literally the most mind-blowing kind of craziness that Teldora could come up with. Uh, So if you haven't read it yet, good. Don't look at tweets. Don't do any of that stuff. Uh, But the movie itself is freaking beautiful. I I can't state that enough. 
like del toro is a filmmaker just working on someone like it's not even like a universal level he's just working on this like fantastical level where like i said it's this old-timey story where the music is so lively these set pieces are almost like theatrically dressed uh like for theater plays uh, the government facility has so much character, and it's just iron and, like, chambers. Uh, so, like, it's this world you love living in, and it's Del Toro, so he makes you want to, like, stay there. Uh, like my The thing I said after leaving the theater was, like, Del Toro's worlds that he builds... I, when I go to the movies, I don't want to see something that my own mind can create. I want to see the most experimental thing that somebody else can come up with. And Del Toro just over and over again is the only person that can deliver on this kind of level of creativity. Even the, you know, well, not even the monster itself is Doug Jones, you know, someone who's worked with him over and over again. So you have a practical kind of swamp thing walking around, like he's some kind of fish out of water. And then Sally Hawkins uh, plays the female Elisa Esposito, but she can't talk, so she does all her stuff through sign language, and she also loves these old-school kind of tap-dancing uh, movies, so you'll see her tapping, and that's how she kind of comes to win the monster over. And the one thing I will say that's a detractor is the film wastes no time getting into their intimate, more intimate relationship. I'm not saying, you know, intimate in weird ways, but they have a connection and it jumps it from basically he's a test creature. She's a cleaner to, Oh my God, I need to break out the love of my life. Who's also a fish man. And you're kind of like, all right, there's no like bridge there. Like we're just going to jump into it. So I would say pacing's a bit off, but for the story itself, <laughs> you can't talk about it without sounding insane. And I'm sure I sound insane because again, I'm talking <laughs> about a romance between swamp thing and a female woman, but the magic is there. The fantasy is there. Michael Shannon is the man, the quintessential man in black, who's the security guy, uh, following them around and making sure that the fish man does not get far away. And he is as crazy, unhinged. Two of his fingers get bitten off early on, and they kind of play into things. And there's a very like underlying surgical subplot. There's so much going on, and I don't want to ruin anything else. So all I'm going to say is, it's Del Toro. You know what to expect in a way but it's still so holy and rewarding, unexpecting. Yeah, so 98, 97, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, some people are yeah. saying this is his best film since Pan's Labyrinth. Do you um, think it's better than Crimson Peak? That was a yes. film I didn't really like, but I know a lot of people loved it. No, I'm with you on Crimson Peak. I gave that a, like pretty much a pedestrian 3 out of 5, 2.5 out of 5. Uh, Shape of Water is definitely better than that. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I think it's he does he makes a few choices that are two steps away from being a masterpiece. Okay. Uh, one of those again being development just isn't there. You're there for the freak show in a way, and it's not a freak show at all. And I'm which there is for good. Sally Hawkins. So. Uh, yes. Oh my God, she is so tremendous in this role. Like I said, all through sign language, but she crushes it. So like her emotion that she puts out just through hand signals. Ten times more than any. I mean, she should be in the conversation. I think uh, come award season, I don't know if she will be, but she definitely deserves a look here just of what she's able to accomplish without saying a thing. Uh, and yeah, there's a freaking dance number that would happen in like a Fred Astaire movie at one point, mm-hmm. and I I can't tell you anymore. I'm done. Nope, I'm not All going right. there. Want to see this? Nope, nope, nope. 
Well, that's the shape of water. You've you have piqued my curiosity even further, which I didn't think was possible with this movie. Uh, I can't wait to check it out, and we'll definitely be reviewing it uh, again on Cinemaholics. Hopefully, when either Will or myself or Maverick sees it. So, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, real quick, I do want to mention the Punisher season one. You guys remember I, I talked about the first couple of episodes last week, and I I was like really meh on it and i'm not going to go into much detail you already heard my review but all i will say is i finished the punisher season one it's the new netflix original and i I, will i think you even mentioned some people had brought this up that it gets better as it goes along they're totally right (laughs) like this show has a really rocky first two three episodes and then something happens where the show just changes and it just figures itself out and uh i i by the end of it i was I was deeply satisfied with the with this, and I, to the point where I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is almost as good as Daredevil." So, I, I I'm definitely a lot happier with it. Uh, so so check it out. I, I know Will, you're still super behind on your Marvel Netflix TV shows, but Donato, are you looking forward to this one yep. at all, or have you been watching? I have not. No, I was gonna say I didn't dive into it just yet because I tend to binge Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'll pick it up on a weekend and just kind of crush through it. But I've been hearing the same things and. I really want it to be that kind of gritty Punisher story. And, you know, I'm not going to know, obviously, because I haven't seen it yet. But if it is as gritty and kind of raw, whatever you want to call it, I- I'm very much into it. Oh, yeah. It's it's brutal. It's brutal what they get away with on, like, a Marvel... You know, like, because Marvel, Disney owns Marvel. And some of the stuff that happens here is I actually, for the first time in any Marvel anything i had i had a hard time watching what was happening and i kind of had to like i squirmed a little bit and uh i like i like the direction they're headed in with the, this this version of the punisher it's the kind of frank castle i think you would be proud of will as uh, his biggest hey, fan of course it's... oh yeah uh no i mean i do actually genuinely really love the punisher so i'm glad to hear it's good yeah all right uh will you saw the darkest hour i think it's darkest hour or the darkest hour yeah. is there an article there darkest hour the darkest hour is like that russian movie with <laughs> with emil hirsch <laughs> <laughs> oh wow i remember uh, that one that was yeah there's like yeah space, uh i think um, space things. yeah whatever uh, what's it? Uh, matt singer a made a good joke about today it was like he, he just posted the pit, the poster of it. He's like that winston churchill by look pick looks sick as hell and just <laughs> just that <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, Darkest Hour is, um, yeah, the new Winston Churchill biopic. It's uh, Gary Oldman's chance to finally win an Oscar with Joe Wright at the helm. His follow-up to Pan, everyone's favorite oh, yeah. Peter Pan mm-hmm. um, adaptation. Because uh, Joe Wright was like, you know what Peter Pan needs? Let's read Nirvana. Bob. Oh, yeah, that's it. Or the Blitzer those uh, smells like Teen Spirit. That too. They do both songs. Yeah, yeah, they're both in there, yeah. That's that's our America. Uh, you hated that movie, right? With a passion. I think it was the only F grade uh, I gave out that year. See, interesting, because I didn't... Uh, that's another sketch. I didn't hate the movie, but like I I understand why I so many people were against it. Yeah. I, I think it gave it like a C+. See, so I was my, like, eh. my only thing with Pan was I hated everything it represented. And that they had just oh, like from a cynical the, standpoint, yeah, they had the cojones to actually like like release it, and that's what offended me. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, well, would they just like put it in the, the vault? I mean, that's what they did with like Serena, you know, and all these other films. Like release it later on, but pretend like it never happened. Just quiet, you know. Oh, okay. 
So anyway. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about Serena. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So Darkest Hour is a much more traditional kind of like it's going back to his more Oscar friendly roots, like with uh, Atonement and uh, Pride and Prejudice and stuff like that. Uh, Gary Oldman is completely pancaked in makeup and uh, basically unrecognizable in the role, to be honest. There are very few shots where I actually thought I was watching Gary Oldman. Uh, and I mean, it's it's weird because we're we're seeing this film come out pretty close to Dunkirk, and the film uh, it, it involves the story of Dunkirk, but from a decidedly very different perspective. Uh, and as far as plotting and stuff goes, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's it's more or less your standard biopic. Uh, you know, it doesn't really do anything that would like surprise you or shock you. It it kind of goes through the motions, but. I think what really, really sells this movie is Gary Oldman. And I was really nervous to go into this film because I thought it was going to be something I was just going to be kind of mediocre on, or I feel kind of meh on. But, I mean, he really just gives one of his best performances in this film. I mean, he is unlike any other Gary Oldman performance I've ever seen. And it really does feel like you're kind of getting into the life of Winston Churchill. Who, I mean, is not someone is, uh, I mean, obviously he's a very public persona, but like to see the different shades of him to get a perspective on his brash, you know, brutish side, but also his sympathetic, more tender side with, you know, someone like Kristen Scott Thomas, who plays his wife, or uh, uh, Lily Collins, who plays one of his um, typists. Uh, it, it, it just works. I mean, it, it's not like a film that I can really go on and on about because I think it's more or less what you expect, but at the same time, it just is a really good movie. Uh, so, yeah. This is So wait, is is the uh, Oscar talk like real with Oldman then? Like, oh yeah, no, I think it's safe to say he is going to win the Oscar. Unless really? Dan Day-Lewis like really blows us away. The Phantom I mean, thread. as much as I love... What's that? I was going to say, on the Phantom Thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as I'd love to see James Franco just take it, just for the pure irony <laughs> of... Uh, that just because I mean, if you don't know, Tommy was so not to bring back the disaster artist, but Tommy was so made uh, the the room to win Oscars, and obviously that didn't happen. So if, like someone playing him trying to win Oscar actually wins him an Oscar, just like it's like that scene from South Park, you know, if irony for strawberries. We'd all be having strawberry <laughs> smoothies right now. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so, but Gary Oldman is incredible. Don't I don't want to undersell his performance. He is really fantastic in this movie, and the makeup is probably going to win Best Oscar as well. See, I've I've been tentative. I've been hesitating in my excitement because I I don't really like any of Joe Wright's movies. I liked Hannah. That was good. But yeah, I like that one a lot. I, I yeah, I didn't care for Pride and Prejudice or Atonement. Uh, actually, I didn't see Anna, oh, really? that Anna movie. Anna, Anna, oh, Anna Karenina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I actually didn't see that one, but and it was I cool. Hated uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Anna Karenina was kind of neat because um, they shot it like they were on like a soundstage or like a play. Mm-hmm. So like they would have like it's backgrounds Gleason, where like right? you'd go. He's one of the people in it. Yeah, yeah he has it's a beard. Keira Knightley. Um, whoever else. Yeah, uh, yeah. But like they like they like don't have traditional like sets where they like they'll like walk at one point and they'll be like people like sewing costumes and stuff. It's kind of weird. Hmm. but i like it um but see that's why i'm kind of yeah so like i guess those two movies aside for me i i don't know i just i don't really look forward to his movies and then i'm all i'm hearing the movies not that great from people they, like everybody's <laughs> praising gary oldman here but yeah I'm, I'm hearing that the movie itself isn't that good and i don't know 
Well, and I, I don't want to be disappointed. I want to see not- Lily James in movies where she just shines. No, she's good. I, I do think she shines. I think it's not necessarily like the movie's bad. I just think it's kind of by the numbers. I don't think. Oscar I think it does everything super competently. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's it's. I didn't want to throw that word around because I feel like it kind of cheapens the film, but mm-hmm. it, it it kind of fits here. It, it's definitely a film that's kind of made with Oscars in mind. Yeah, and does it I feel cheapen like it if it's what, true? I don't... Yeah, but I mean, like, I think the movie stands on its own. Like, I don't think it's a movie that like is only good for winning awards and that's it. I think it is actually a genuinely really good biopic. I just don't think it's like. It's not like a film like Disaster Artist where I can keep talking about it. It's just a film like I think it does everything super competently. I think it does everything super well. I just don't like find myself floored with emotions by it. It's more like, oh, yeah, that was just a really solid, well-made film. Yeah, I mean, it's more like a book report in a way with these kind of films. You yeah. know the story. You know everything that happens already. All you're watching it for is, oh, does this actor actually become the person? And if they do, they win yeah. an award. If not, everyone forgets it. I mean, yeah. that's these movies. See, I've, I'm not a pe- – like, to me, that's like watching people play dress-up. And that's – I go to movies for story and narrative and punch. And, yeah, that's why I'm kind of well, – That's what I mean. Yeah, about this one. Like a great performance, in my I opinion, think, can only do so much. I guess. I just feel like the film is really made or broken by Gary Oldman. And I think the fact that he is so tremendously good in this film is what makes it exceptionally enjoyable to watch. Okay. Like, I just don't feel like it's like, oh, I just, I, it's not like a, like a film that I was afraid it was going to be where it's like, oh, it's just the obligation I have to watch. Like, I have to watch it so I can get into the award conversation. I think. The film really stands on its own. I was entertained enough watching it that I didn't feel like I was just doing like my homework for Oscar season. I think well, it's I was going to say, I, good... Darkest Hour right now is sitting on the bottom of my award screener pile. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I, I have my pile registered basically on what I want to watch. Like I tell yeah. on top, so that'll be first. But like, right. yeah, that one's kind of, when I get to it, I'll get to it, but not really rushing to it. Well, yeah. say, put it in the middle of your put pile. In the middle. In the middle. All right. Yeah, I'm sure there's because like, I'm sure you got like called me by your name and stuff like some really really good ones or from I, my. I was gonna say should I, should I watch like, it before I love you, Daddy, or where do I put that oh, one? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You got a screener for that one? Oh, I watched it already, dude. Of course. Oh, what do you think of it? I'm genuinely curious. What? Yeah, let's do it uh, spontaneous. Um, it's never ever going to get released. My God, it, it, there's well, no way to watch um, it and not. It's basically like a self-admission in movie form and having all the stuff come out. It lit- Scene by scene, you're just like, oh my god, that, like he was accused of this at some point. And it's just happening on screen and you are you don't know how to take it. Like, I can't distance myself from that. Film. Yeah, uh-huh. I can't distance myself from it. But even at that, I don't think it's that great a film. I, I will admit okay. and I will say if I had to go in completely blind to that kind of side of the story didn't really strike me i I think it's a lot of yelling about a very poignant topic but there's no message to be heard Hmm. it's louis ck it's just a lot of mumblecore in a way is it one of those films where everyone kind of sounds like they're the same person but they're supposed to be different people yeah lots of stammering lots of like i know well you know but like you know i don't really yeah it's uh like i love his show i'm not gonna say or you know i loved his show when it was on and stuff like that so I'm not going to say that it's something that took me by surprise because it's the same kind of filmmaking, but um, in feature format, it just didn't work. It was a much bigger <laughs> bite. And these characters that are very built on being not great people, I didn't want to keep spending time with them at all. The, the kind of veneer wore off on me and the whole, I love you daddy <laughs> thing. 
it's just very no one learns a lesson in a way. I huh. I don't know. I didn't okay. I didn't take much from it. Okay, I it's just really I mean here. it's one of those films like I yeah I mean it was one that was on my radar. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see it. There is you're never there was a report I think this, dude. Uh, no production uh, company will ever want to put this out. I well, that's what I mean. It. But that's but but Louis in a position where he puts most of his stuff on his website anyway. True. Yeah, that's so true. So I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just like I like he does one of his emails or whatever. He's like, look, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. A lot of bad stuff's happened. If you want to see my movie, you know, I'm going to put it online for five bucks. If you don't want to see it, I completely understand at this point. He should. I'm just- going to peace out. But, just give it away for you know if you want to be yeah i don't know i mean i, I could see him doing that too like yeah i say five bucks because most of his stuff with his specials yeah, and i don't know i haven't i haven't gotten an email or anything from him since all this stuff broke out right and uh yeah no, for no one has reasons yeah exactly yeah um, me personally yeah, yeah. <laughs> louis what's the scoop yeah i just i i've heard that the orchard is just like we want this off our hands and he's like i'll take it back yeah and it's going to be I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It's going to go back to him, and I think he'll just do whatever he wants with it. Yeah, I, I think you're and, right that he'll put it out for free. I mean, because no, no production, no distribution company is going to want to be associated with this anymore. It, I, I can promise you. Yeah, I mean, I don't see the point in not releasing it for Louis. I guess if it's just Louis and he just says "f it," but I don't. I don't think it's going to be like a day the clown cry situation where like it would never happen. Like we, like you said, you have a screener of it. So it means like probably a couple hundred people have it. So there's a good chance that if he doesn't put oh, it it's out, being, someone's gonna, like, I, I got curious and I went on eBay, on eBay and uh, yeah, yeah, there's $500 like copies. Yeah. No, oh, it's up to 500, 1000. Yeah. Shoot. I'm, I'm honestly surprised it's not leaked at this point. Well, yeah. It'd be point. pretty easy to get caught with that. You know, there's not that many screeners out there. With the watermark on it. Ah, the watermark only says uh, property of the orchard. It doesn't have a uh, well, email. Before thing. we start becoming accomplices. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not sell mine for the record. I have yeah, mine yeah. that I could give photo. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's I Love You, Daddy. Uh, definitely disappointment. This, this was one I was looking forward to. Uh, it was one that I was looking forward to for the simple reason I wanted to. I wanted somebody to take the piss out of Woody Allen. And that, that still hasn't happened yet. And that's really frustrating. But we'll see what happens once wonder wheel comes out uh, or starts to come out more uh, last thing before we finish out uh, and I'm going to be super fast with this. Uh, I've been playing star Wars battlefront two. Now we don't usually talk about games, although I talked about super Mario Odyssey like last week or something, but I- I've been playing star Wars battlefront two and I wanted to bring it up just because there is a lot of talk going on online right now about battlefront two potentially, potentially having spoilers for the last Jedi. No, I'm not going to go into detail here because on the one hand, it, I, I, can, I can easily see why people are very convinced that this is like some ridiculous screw up by Disney and they have just ruined one of like the biggest spoilers of their franchise, their new franchise in a video game by DICE that uh, if you guys don't know, Star Wars Battlefront 2 takes place right after the Battle of Endor. Uh, and you follow the, the, the campaign is, it's really good, uh, by the way, I should say. Like, the game is just good. It, it's, it's a lot better than the 2015 Battlefront they came out with. That was garbage. That game, that wasn't even a game. Uh, but this is like a much better game, pretty fun combat. But anyway, the campaign takes you through like these, uh, this, um, this Empire Inferno squad. They're like special forces and how they deal with the aftermath 
of the emperor dying and you you go on this like whirlwind adventure through space and it takes place over the course of a couple of decades you find out uh, actually a lot of you know missing pieces like what happened in between these movies and for that it's really good but the very end the game strongly hints something that it like strongly hints to the point where I, I think it's kind of a red herring and I think that they're laying it on so thick maybe because they want you to think that it's a spoiler for last Jedi when it isn't. And that's me being generous. But so I bring all that up to you guys to, to say two things. First that it actually, it really is a solid campaign. If this game had come out, if it turns out to be true that this is like the big spoiler and I know I'm being so mysterious, but if it turns out being true, I would have really liked this game to come out after the movie to be a really cool, like, you know, deep in the backstories of certain things that happen in the, in the new trilogy but as it stands, it does kind of feel like a big spoiler. Now, if it, I, I am still pretty convinced that it's not, that it's a red herring. So on the other hand, I just think on its own, it's a really cool, it's a really good campaign. It's a really good Star Wars story packaged um, and some really fun gameplay mechanics. You get to play as uh, Lando Calrissian at one point and a bunch of other really cool Star Wars characters, which by the way, playing as Lando Calrissian... <laughs> I, I it brought a tear to my eye. It was it was good. He's like one liners. I don't know. And when when you die, it says uh, Lando Calrissian has lost his gamble. Am I selling this to you, Will Ashen, as someone who has played two video games uh, in his life? I mean, if Mario and Princess Peach and Luigi and Toad came in, I I might have to buy it. Or Tony Hawk skateboards in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So you're not selling me on it because I bought the first one, and what a piece of garbage that was. I the first one, I was so sad because I love the original Battlefront games, but agreed for like, like Xbox, I used to have that, but I yeah. got Battlefront for PS4, and man, I mean, no campaign. The spawning was just out of whack for multiplayer. It, it was not fun. Like, and the graphics look good at first, but they just got bad over time progressively yeah, yeah the yeah, more yeah. and more you walk that that game was pure garbage it wasn't even a game but uh yeah donato battlefront 2 is like what we were hoping for really i still don't have like a full opinion on it yet i haven't played a lot of the multiplayer i i've only done some of the arcade and i've done the campaign and it's it's a blast it really is yeah it's a good time yeah, i might have to do it I've, i'm pretty much stuck on Fortnite and uh, friday the 13th right now but you might have sold me on it well, yeah, well, just, yeah, keep your uh, eye on it down the road. It's a, uh, it's a good, it's a good weekend binge probably. But all right, that'll do it for our mini reviews. Uh, real quick, uh, coming soon to theaters. What we're going to be talking about coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, well, next week we're going to be talking about the disaster artist. I, I honestly, I we might also be able to talk about the shape of water. Will if we have time, if that can be a featured. I'm just not sure if if it's going to be in enough theaters for us all to catch, but. Uh, that's yeah, I think uh, my screening's on the 10th. Okay, there so on the 10th of December? Hassle. Let me check. Because uh, uh, it's supposed to be coming out limited on the 1st. and That's only, no, it the 1st is on only in New York City. Yeah, I was going to say, it's this weird thing okay. where they're only releasing it in New York City on the 1st, and then everyone else gets it like three weeks later or something. It's, it's a yeah, bizarre it's, release strategy, but... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's not expanding until uh, when Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out. Eight. Yeah, Ferdinand. I wonder if they're doing that because um, this movie might be a hard sell for some, and they just want to get the word of mouth as much as possible. Maybe just yeah. like over a gradual point of time. Like I know this might sound weird, but like it's actually really good, and then like more At people least are interested. Come out in L.A. though. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
Well, there are a lot of other films coming out uh, in the next uh, week. Uh, a lot of smaller films. Uh, Tribes of Palos Verdes, The Other Side of Hope, Love Beats Rhymes, which is uh, a RZA thing where it's like a slam poetry. That looks kind of promising, actually. Hmm. Uh, Gangsterland, which kind of is going to come and go. I don't really know if that's ever going to be hitting more theaters, honestly. And uh, Ethan Hawke is in a movie, uh, 24 Hours to Live. Uh, just a lot of things are getting dumped next <laughs> I love week. you just look surprised that Ethan Hawke yeah. is in a movie. <laughs> it, it is Hawk's weird to me. Like, <laughs> it's well, like it's, but it's not Richard Linklater. 24 Hours to Live. Is that like his crank? Because if so, I'm sold. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's the exact plot, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, like Wonder Wheel. Dramatic crank. The, the Woody Allen film yeah. is coming out. Which I yeah we're gonna complete just ruin you. I, <laughs> Keep trying to tell us about Wonder Wheel. I, I just well all I'm just gonna say about Wonder Wheel is that I have zero interest at all in seeing this. I as much as I love Kate Winslet, I just I don't want to watch Woody Allen. I just don't. I just I'm not there. So, but okay. On that note, um, <laughs> on your weird down note about Woody Allen, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I I just don't like. Uh, I just can't support him. It just feels weird and i hate that but well but all right that'll do it for this episode of cinemaholics uh thank you matt donato for joining us on this uh on what, what an episode tis a pleasure man anytime you need help i'm here yeah all right and uh will ashen of course uh don't forget if you want to subscribe to this podcast just hit us up on apple podcast google play stitcher uh we're always on the facebook page uh, asking you crazy questions about movies join our community cinemaholics and uh i think this latest one we we asked Will was that was a doozy. What was it? Your bet your the best oh, I asked, movie. I asked. Movie is all time? Yeah, and the worst. I asked everyone what they consider the best superhero movies and the worst superhero movies, and it got real. To no surprise, there's a lot of overlap. Like some people put Avengers in both categories. Some people put Batman v Superman in both categories. Uh, everyone seemed to agree that Catwoman was pretty bad, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The gifts so, were nice. That's how we can connect. Me, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, And of course, as always, you can email us all of your feedback on the show, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton. From the Internet in New York City, I am Matt Donato. See you next time.